0: Okay, well, this morning we are returning to our series in Philippians, so please keep that passage open in front of you. As so far, we have been exposed to Paul's desire and his life goal to find joy in Christ, despite his circumstances. Paul is in prison, he's suffering for the gospel there, and his focus is not on his comfort, on his reputation, but on Christ. And he's encouraging the Philippians and he's encouraging us to do likewise, to look to Christ. And last time, the Philippians, in chapter end of chapter 1 through to chapter 2, verse 11, we saw that, that we were called not only to believe, but to suffer and to be motivated and empowered by Christ. And we saw his example um, that Tom wonderfully reminded of us before in verses 6 to 11. And so our verses for, for this week really carry on and continue on. From that. So let's pause and pray as we get into these verses. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful and so grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the wonderful gospel, for all that he has done for us, for all that we've been reminded of this morning as we've seen Jesus, who in God has humbled himself and become a servant, who suffered and died upon a cross for us. We thank you that he did not stay dead, but that, he, that you raised him from the dead to new life, to resurrection life, and that Jesus is seated at your right hand right now in heaven, ruling over the nations. We thank you for the wonderful truth and the great hope we have that, that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, all for your glory. But Father, we know that that day is not yet, and we know that we have a life to live, that you call us to, to live for you. We know that that is hard, and so please come help us this morning as we think more about that. Encourage us, encourage us to know that you are at work in us and through us to fulfill your purposes in our lives. Amen. Is it worth it? Is all this obedience to Jesus Christ, the call to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, to work out our salvation, is it worth it? I hope this morning you've, you've enjoyed hearing the amazing truths of what Christ has done for us in saving us, and we are forever thankful And we look forward to the day when he will return, that day of Christ that we've thought about in Philippians. We look forward to it when we will be with him forever and we will be free from this life and this world. But between now and then, we have to deal with the mess of life. And so is the call to be completely sold out for Jesus, as Paul is encouraging us to do, is it really worth it? Will it really make a difference? Because I know and you know that life is hard. We toil, we struggle, we suffer to get through each week. We sin and we fail and we let God down. In evangelism, we face people who don't want to hear. We face opposition. We face cold apathy. And often we feel this burden. Maybe you felt the burden of finding joy in Christ despite your circumstances. When the day of Christ arrives, when he returns, when you face him, will you be able to look back on your life and and say, yes, my life did make a difference? I think Paul's answer, Christ's answer to that question is, yes, it is worth it and your life will make a difference. It's yes, because although the Christian is to work out their salvation, which means to live out what Christ has done for us, to unpack the salvation, to live lives that are worthy of what God has done for us. Although we're called to do that, we need to remember, as verse 13 shows us, that it is God who is at work in us. He works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God didn't simply save us for salvation's sake. He didn't forgive our sins and take us to heaven for us to live our lives now however we want. But he saved us to go on living a life that he's called us to. A life that he has planned for us. Of good things. To fulfill a wonderful purpose for him. He calls us to live out to be the people that we really are in him, the children of God. God's purpose is to change you and through you to change the world. God's purpose is to make you more like Jesus, to make you more of what you already are in Christ and through the life that you live out in the world to impact others and to change other people's lives that they too may come to Christ. May it be our prayer that when we get to that last day that we will be able to look back and say, yes, it was worth it. Or maybe in the words of Paul in verse 16, he says, I can look, I know that I did not run or labor in vain. And so how? So how does Paul, in these verses specifically, How does he encourage the Philippians, and then us, to make a difference in the world? Well, He's really specifically talked about doing everything without grumbling and arguing. So that's gonna be our focus this morning, to do everything without grumbling and arguing. So God is at work in you to change you. Grumbling and arguing appeared to be an issue for the Philippians, (laughs) And uh, we noted last week, didn't we, that there was obviously some kind of disunity, some conflict going on between them. We see in chapter 4 that there are a couple of people who need to get reconciled to sort out the differences. There may well have been some pride and selfishness that's causing arguments and causing people to question and to grumble and to moan about various different things. The grumblings perhaps could be due to the hardship that they're facing Opposition from those around them. They know that they're facing opposition from last week. Maybe their grumbling and their complaining is about having to serve in the church. Having to give and to serve and to, to help one another. To give of our time. Whatever they were grumpy about, it wasn't good for their spiritual health. It wasn't good for their witness in the world around them. Whenever I hear that phrase, grumbling and complaining or arguing, my mind goes back to Exodus and to the Israelites and the time for them just after they came out of Egypt. And they really had just been out only a matter of hours or days, and there they are, grumbling and complaining. God had wonderfully delivered them and saved them from Egypt, from their slavery. He brought them through the Red Sea in a miraculous way, the Egyptians were destroyed, and now they were free to be a people of God heading towards a new promised land. But they wanted to go back. They wanted food. They wanted the cucumbers that they used to enjoy in Egypt. They grumbled and complained, and they, instead of trusting in God, instead of seeing what he's done for them and trusting that he would continue to provide for them as they made their way to the promised land, well... They lived in unbelief and never entered the land. Grumbling and arguing just come so easy and so naturally to human nature. Even as Christians, it's what we do best, complaining and grumbling. And it can cause real damage and real harm to us as our own lives and our own Christian walk. It's dangerous in our church as a whole, as in the health of our church. It's dangerous for the well-being of our families and of our marriages, for the productivity of our work and of our social lives. It's easy to grumble about how church is done, the style of music, perhaps, the length of the service, the, the quality of the preacher. We can argue about Doctrinal differences and what is primary and what is secondary. And doctrinal differences, of course, come into play and they can cause great disunity among Christians, especially when we're thinking about working with other churches. But what difference would it make if we didn't grumble and we didn't complain? How much complaining and arguing exists in your family life? Whether it's between you and your spouse, between your children, between your parents, amongst your housemates. What about grumbling in the workplace? Now, of course, there's room for good constructive criticism. And there's room for people to be honest about their struggles so people can pray. And it's good that we have discussions and that we can agree to disagree. There's nothing wrong with those things, but when those things turn into real complaining and blaming and arguing and falling out and disunity, then we cross the line. On a Monday morning, as staff, we meet together and we constructively criticize the Sunday morning and Sunday evening services. Our aim is to... Um, talk about what happened to encourage the good and to praise that and to help and to give advice to show how we could do things better. But of course there's always the temptation and sometimes we do fall into the temptation of of complaining and grumbling about how things are done. But what difference would it make if in our relationships with one another in our church when we gathered to worship there, there was no grumbling? and there was no arguing. Can you imagine that happening? Can you imagine how much better and happier life would be if we did not grumble? What difference would it make if we took a different approach to those times, to those moments when we are tempted to grumble or to argue that our attitude, our motivation, our goal in all of those things was was different? Well, Paul says in verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. In Christ, we are already blameless and pure. Before God, we stand completely clean and free from sin because of Christ. Jesus took the curse for us to make us righteous But it's God's ambition for us as we live out our lives, as we work out our salvation, for us to become more and more like what we already are in him. That's what it means to work out your salvation. In chapter 1, verse 9, we see Paul's prayer for the Philippians. And he says, he wants their love to abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that they may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless, ready for the day of Christ. As Christians and as a church, it is our aim to seek to live in obedience to Jesus Christ and to become more like Him. And we do that because God is at work in us to change us. He gives us the will and the desire, as we have seen in verse 13. For God works in you. That work, that word means it gives you energy. God empowers us to do it, to do the living for him. How do we become blameless and pure? Well, we start putting into practice the things that we've seen already in chapter 2. We take our eyes off of ourselves and we put them on Christ first and foremost. And then we look to others, then we look to other people's interests. If selfishness and pride and disunity is what causes problems amongst us, then we put Jesus first. We put others, their interests second. Then we put ourselves last. We live in joy, J-O-Y. Jesus first, others second, yourself last, as we heard a few weeks ago. Now, many of you know that a few weeks ago, I sliced my finger open on a, on a wine glass. And to save you the gory details, there was lots of blood. And when I saw my finger, I knew that I had to go to A&E. But of course, the first thought that came into my head was, well, that's the rest of my night finished. Because we know when we go to A&E, we're going to be there for a long time. So the first thought for me was to grumble. And to complain, I hadn't even got there yet. And of course, that was unusually usually a long time. And I'm resisting every temptation to tell you how long it was. But I'm preaching about not grumbling. So I won't. However, when I got to hospital, what was fresh in my mind was we had just started this series in Philippians. And Dan had taught us to find joy in our circumstances despite what we were going through. And so for me, there was a real test to put this into practice. Was I going to grumble and complain? Or was I going to pray? Was I going to seek God's help? Was I going to help him to ask, Was I going to ask him to help my attitudes, to trust him, that he was working out his purposes in my life despite the pain? And you know what God was? God was working out his purposes in and through me, because he gave me an opportunity to talk to a man who sat down next to me who were searching faith and were searching about God. And we talked for a long time about Jesus, because we could. And I left hospital later that night, thanking God, because he taught me a lesson. He showed me that despite my circumstances, and it was only a good finger, God is at work, and, and if we are willing to see it, and if we are willing to obey and to follow God's leading, he can use us, rather than us grumbling. If we argue because we disagree how things should be done, then it's when, then we grumble when we don't like the way that it has been done. So how can we deal with the grumbling and the arguing in our families, in church life? Well, we look to Jesus. We look to the one who, as you've heard this morning, was in very nature God, but didn't use that to his own advantage. He didn't seek to show that off, but he was willing to humble himself and be obedient to put other people first, to die for us. And so we pray, we pray that God would give us the change of heart, he'd give us the new desires, new preferences, opinions, interests, which are Christ-centered, rather than ourselves-centered. Other people-centered, rather than ourselves-centered. So that in our marriages, we can love and we can listen. We can discuss and we can disagree, but we don't need to argue. Wow. We can forgive. May we look to other people's interest instead of grumbling about the way that it is done. In work, when the workload is heavy, when our boss is awkward, let's not complain, but ask God for help for the knowledge to know how to cope and bring change. Let's ask God for help to change us on the inside that we may be blameless and pure children of God that we are so that indeed we will be faultless in the generation around us. And then we will shine like stars, verse 15, as we hold firmly to the word of life. God is at work in us to change us. And God is at work in you to change the world. What does Paul say will happen when the Philippians do everything without arguing and without complaining? He says they will shine like stars, that they will be distinctive. They'll stand out, they'll be noticed. People will see something that's different. Why? Because we're living in a warped and crooked generation. God has saved us out of that to live for him in the midst of it. In the NIV, they put that phrase, um, where's it gone Children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. That's in quotation marks. And Paul is probably, well, he is thinking back to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy is all about Moses giving final speeches and final instructions to the people before they enter for the real real time into the promised land. And Moses is speaking about that generation that we thought of before that rebelled against God. And he referred to them as corrupt, not God's children. And to their shame, they were warped and a crooked generation. But now Paul is, he's switching that around. He's saying God's people today are those who've put their trust in the Lord Jesus, whether they are Jew or non-Jew. They are the ones that God has made holy They are the ones who are sent into the world to be different to be distinct to be a light to show god to them the church is god's people on earth are to stand out to make a difference and in this context that distinctiveness should come through through a lack of grumbling and a lack of arguing We live in a society that loves to complain. Our well-known financial and retail web- advice website gives this advice for following complaints procedures. Our opening quote says, To stand your ground as a 21st century champion consumer, you need to be as smart and as clever as the companies themselves. Here are four top tips for complaining. One, decide what you want. Do you want a refund? Do you want compensation? Do you want a replacement? Two, complain within a reasonable time. If you leave it too long, there's not enough proof that you've actually broken the product or whatever it is. Three, complain in different ways. Ring on the phone, write a letter, go in person. And four, If all else fails, get legal help. Human rights are, of course, important. And it's serious that we put things right when they go wrong and make sure justice is done. But when human rights are exploited just for personal gain, for personal preference, for personal ambition, then we just go too far. And we live in a society where secularism dominates, And the God of secularism is self, is me. Life is all about me and my wants and my desires and my comforts and my happiness. And so when those things are challenged, when they're abused, when they're taken away, then I have a right to seek justice for myself, that things will be done my way. And so I will complain and I will argue. And My goal will be to get my way, even if it costs someone else their way but what difference what difference would it make if as christians and as a church what difference would it make in our community if we really did live our lives without grumbling and complaining would we stand out i'm sure we would People who dealt with the inevitable problems and disagreements of life but we dealt with them in a different way. What difference would it make if your neighbours noticed how you and your family deal with disagreements? How it's not about who can shout the loudest but it's about what is best for the other person? What difference would it make if we didn't complain about the weather? We thank God for the rain and we enjoy the autumn colours. What difference would it make if instead of gossiping with others about the boss, that we said no when we sought to look for the good in the person? What difference would it make if we showed an attitude of trust and of humility, of prayer and dependence upon God in the face of illness and death? Now maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah right Andy, get back to the real world. Life is really hard. Circumstances are frustrating. The future looks bleak. Relationships among family and friends are painful. To find joy in those times, to live out life without complaint, is just unrealistic. Now, I'm not denying that it's hard, I'm not denying that life is a mess. I'm not denying that it is a struggle to find joy as our sermon title indicates but i want to challenge us this morning to to put into practice the things that we've been hearing so far in in philippians to put christ first and others before ourselves but but all put on in addition to that to see the difference that it makes in the world because we're not called just to to change and to be obedient to god for his sake but for the world's sake that they may come to see God as well. Let me give you an example. Often when when we go to baptismal services, those who are getting baptized will share a testimony about how God has changed their lives. And I'm always amazed by the number of times, the number of testimonies that begin with the person explaining how they were observing their Christian friends and they noticed something different. It happens all the time. They say something like, They had something that I didn't and I wanted it. There was a peace about them. They had joy despite their circumstances. People had observed and people will observe you as Christians and they notice Jesus in you. So when someone notices your life, it stands out. And they'll see that there's something different and that will cause them to wonder and to think to ask questions and to ask why, to ask how. In the words of Peter in 1 Peter 3, they'll ask you for the reason, for the hope that you have. And that then provides an opportunity to, to, to give an answer, to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, to tell them about the word of life that has changed us so much. The word of life that's transformed us and brought us to Jesus. The word of life that continues to change us and to make us more like Him. As we live lives that are distinctive for Jesus, we can speak out the words of life. And as we know it and as we experience it, as we know the truth of the gospel and what it reveals about ourselves, we are willing to live out of that life. Because when we know that really we have no rights at all, really, All we deserve is God's judgment and God's wrath. The fact that we live life at all is a gift from God. Each day is a blessing. And boy, how does that change the way we view our circumstances? We remember that Jesus died upon a cross to save us for our sins, and that makes all the difference, because when we face the temptations to grumble and to argue, we can look to him. In our evangelism, our focus is... Is Christ and to make Him known, to tell people about Him and the difference that He makes. And so together, our differences and our disagreements, our different preferences of how we do things can fade into the background because Christ is at the center. Whenever you watch these teen movies like Pitch Perfect, for example, Or 10 Things I Hate About You, if you're a bit older. Often there is a scene in the film where the student is wandering around campus and they see the different social groups. So, in one corner, you have the computer nerds with their laptops and their glasses and their spots. (laughs) In one corner, you have the goths dressed in their black clothes, listening to music. On the sports field, you have the fit football players. On the sidelines, the blonde cheerleaders. But in those films, you never see the Christian Union corner. But imagine, imagine that you did see the Christian corner. (laughs) What would it be like? There in the corner is a group of students who, who are made up of people from all the other groups. There you have a computer nerd, there you have a goth, there you have a footballer and a cheerleader. People who, perhaps on any other circumstance, they would never talk to each other. They would never be friends, naturally. But here they are, putting aside their differences, being united in Christ. He is their common interest, their common goal, their common mission and purpose. What a difference that group can make. Modern Road Church is a bit like that. We are a group of people made up of different people, different ages, different nationality, different interests and preferences. But we are a people who have Jesus Christ in common. He is our identity. He is our life's goal and mission. He comes first. And we put one another before ourselves. Which doesn't mean that there won't be things to grumble about. And it doesn't mean that there won't be disagreements. But it does mean that we deal with those things in a godly and Christ-like way. So that as we live out our lives in the community of East Oxford and Oxford, we will make a difference. We will shine brightly as stars. As I close, let's look at... Paul and his example. Here is a man who, as we've seen, has a a desire that when he gets to the end of his life, he will look back and he will be able to boast, not in himself, but boast in Jesus Christ because of what he has done through him to change the Philippians. He's a man who's been radically changed from the man we first meet in Acts 8, a man who persecuted Christians, to the man who here is willing to die for Christ. He's willing to suffer, to give his life, to offer everything for the sake of Christ. And so he rejoices. He counts it a privilege and a joy to live such a life for Christ and for others. He opens himself to the Lord to be changed on the inside so that through that change, the world can be changed the day of Christ will come. May it be our prayer that on that day, we can look back and we can see although we have suffered, although we have sacrificed, although we have served in the church through faith, we can be glad and we can rejoice together that God has been at work in us to change us and through us to change the world. Let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your great global mission to save a people for yourself thank you for the great cost of the lord jesus christ who made that possible in dying for us thank you for his example for his life that he lived and lord we seek and desire to live in obedience to him working out our salvation with fear and trembling but not in our own strength, in our own efforts, but with you in us and with us. So Lord, please come and change us, change us from within. Make us more like Christ. Make us blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And Lord, we pray for our generation around us. We pray for those who do not know you, We pray that through our lives, through our testimonies, through our living for you, we would indeed shine brightly and be attractive and cause many to come to you. Help us, enable us, give us your Holy Spirit's help to do this. For your glory's sake. Amen.